Would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, we come before you tonight. And Lord, the, the words of that song and the prayers of our heart tonight is that you would move in that way. That God, the words that really stood out to me tonight, that you would wash our sin and shame away. And Lord, it is so easy for us to come in this place and be physically here, but two steps removed because of something we know we did, things that we are a part of, things that we're not doing that we think we ought to be doing. There might be people watching online who wouldn't dare step foot in a church because of what they've done, what their resume says, the behavior they've been up to. And there's this thought that if I don't perform well enough, if my resume is not strong enough, then I can't interact with God. And yet, God, we, we sing songs like this to remind ourselves, to, to re-gospel ourselves, that it's not our resume, it's not our performance, it is what you have done for us in our place. And so, God, we stand here, we sing, and we pray by grace. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. And God, what, what the theme of that song is, is we are not trying to hoard what you've done for us in this place. We want to see your grace flow through our community. God, we want to see your grace move into areas that are, that are just hurting and wounded right now. And God, we know our community well enough because it is a small community and we all talk about each other. And God, there are pockets in our community that are being ripped apart right now. And there are tensions and there are wounds and there is hurt. There is anxiety. There's unrest. God, if there was ever a time for your grace to be poured out, it would be now. So God, would you move? Would your tide rise across Southwest Nova and beyond? Would we see reconciliation? Would we see wisdom prevail? Would we see healing in places where hurt was once reigning preeminent? So God, you're good. You hold the answers. You hold the keys. And we are here to submit ourselves in front of you tonight saying, ask of us, speak to us, challenge us, and we'll move as you call. And we ask this in your name. Amen. You may go ahead and have a seat. What we're going to do, uh, we're going to do something tonight. We're going to land the series in Ezekiel 47. If you've been tracking with us, whether you're in the building, whether you're watching online, uh, we're going to land the plane on Ezekiel 47. And to the Thursday night crowd, we've kind of said this to you before, but I'll say it again. You are a part of the crowd where the service is being recorded. Uh, for a number of weeks, we try to pretend we wouldn't timestamp anything. We wouldn't let people know when we recorded it. Uh, people are like, that's not live. You're right, it's not live. And so the Thursday night crowd, you guys have been amazing to be so consistent and faithful to come out and help us with the service. And there's an online crowd watching uh, whenever they're watching. Uh, the beauty has been that for people who do not feel comfortable, there is still a way to move in advance in your discipleship journey. Uh, I had a message from someone today saying, I'm still not ready to go back to Coastal. I'm still not quite ready, but I'm going to at some point. So I'm enjoying the stuff online. We have people who are uh, messaging me this week saying, we want to come to your church for the first time. We've been watching you online for the last couple months. And so if you're like, why do you guys run around these cameras all the time? Because it matters. And people are watching and people are tuning in and people are paying attention. People are doing the dishes while they listen to a service. And so uh, thank you for uh, worshiping on Thursday. Thank you that it's not just me and the camera here or the band and the camera. We did that for a while. It wasn't real fun. Uh, and so thank you so much for this. Before we go into Ezekiel 47, every so often, I kind of talk to you about what we're doing right now. Like it's 
It's like the veil being pulled back of what this interaction is. And, and, and what we do right here is this is the part of the service, if you're new or if you're watching for the first time, this is the preaching part. Uh, some people are like, let's get this preaching part over and get back to the music part. Some people come to church like, can we wrap this music thing up and get to the preaching? And everyone kind of leans differently as it pertains to the two big pieces of the service. But what we do with preaching is that we open God's word, we trust that God's spirit will show up, and a word will be delivered to God's people. If you remove any of those things, it's not preaching. And so we're trusting that these three things are happening together, that you've come together to hear something. God is showing up to say something, and we're scripture-rooted. That is one of our values, that we are scripture-rooted. We are not AJ-rooted. We are not Wesleyan-rooted. That's, that's not what we're doing. We are scripture-rooted. Now, when I preach, the thing that I want to kind of say today is while I'm preaching, something else has to be happening inside the minds and heart of each of you, and you have to be doing it at the same time, or this doesn't work. The thing is called discerning. You familiar with what the idea of discerning means? Like you are listening, you are evaluating, you are processing. You might go to the movies and just turn the brain off, sit back, and enjoy the ride. You can't do that in church. It doesn't work that way. When I'm preaching and we're preaching together, your mind and heart has to stay engaged, and you're discerning what you are hearing, you are processing. But it's not just the content you are processing. You are actually discerning what you are hearing in a different way than the person beside you, and that is on purpose. You should be discerning differently than the person beside you. And so why that matters is that sometimes when I'm preaching, I will—I know this is a shock to a lot of you—I will make a strong statement. <laughs> I've been known to do that from time to time. That's my job. Preaching, the word is to herald, to exalt, to declare. I'm not to roll out wishy-washy statements. Your job is to discern. Is it true? And is it for me? which means sometimes when I'm preaching, the statement's coming at you and you go, nope, <laughs> Whew, that didn't get me. Now, sometimes you're dodging, but sometimes you're supposed to do that. Sometimes you're supposed to hear a word go out and say, yeah, that, that's not for me today. That's for my brother or my sister. That's for my wife or my husband, my kids. Like, that is a word for them today. That one doesn't apply to me. And so where that most often happens is when there is a word of correction. If you're like, whoa, whoa, he almost got me, but I'm still batting a thousand. I've gone to church for 10 years, haven't felt one single thing. And so when we're doing this, you need to be processing like, okay, is this true? Is this true and of God? And is this for me today? Because I want to get into some stuff today that if you're not discerning, this will not only not help you, it help you, it might wound you. So you need to be processing, like, where do I fit in this message? And where do I fit in the stuff that, that Ezekiel received and AJ received and our church received? Where do I fit in this? Because we are still in Ezekiel 47. We're going to land the plane. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your iPhones, your iPads, tablets, whatever you bring with you, we are in Ezekiel 47, and then next week, uh, we're going to do something similar. I've camped out for four weeks in this prophecy. Next week, we're going to open up our gospel series. Uh, I've said a few different times in a few different places that we're going to soak and linger in gospel teaching. Uh, we spent four weeks in one chapter. 
starting next week, we're going to spend three weeks and like six verses. And then we're going to take eight weeks and preach the entire Bible. Four weeks in a chapter, three weeks and six verses, and then eight weeks into the entire Bible. That's what we're up for. So by the time you come in here for Christmas Eve on December the 24th, you will have been walked through the entire story of the Bible. Whether you understand it or not is up to you. <laughs> but we're going to walk you through it. So one more week in this chapter, three weeks and a couple of verses, and then eight weeks we are praying and trusting that you will understand the narrative of the Bible when you step in here for Christmas Eve. Ezekiel 47 starts out this way. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he, the angel, brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward, as my voice cracks, with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and it was knee deep. And again he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen, and it was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Now, if you've been paying attention through this series, you're thinking you already focused on that passage. And we're going to do it again. Week one, we talked about the temple and how the temple is more than God's home. It's where the two realms of heaven and earth meet. Week two, we talked about how the water trickles out from the temple under the door and out it goes, and that God calls us to walk deeper with him as we go on the journey. Week three, we talked about the life-giving presence of the water creates trees, new life where there wasn't life, and then it changes the dead sea from death to life. There's resurrection power where God moves. Now I'm backing up and we're doing that river part again. One of the things you find as you go to Scripture is that you can go back to it over and over and over and over again, and God will give you a fresh word that is different than the day before. I could preach for six weeks on John 3.16 and never repeat anything. I could go to uh, Colossians chapter 3 and spend six months in it and never repeat anything. There's this idea that we believe in Hebrews chapter 4 where God's word is living and active. It's not a dead book. You go back to it and God says, let me show you something new. You go back to the next day and God says, well, let me show you something new again. And it has that effect. And so the part I want to look at is the part we looked at week two, where God leads us deeper into the water. But that's not the part I want to talk about. It, it talks about the river flowing. And I want to talk about the flowing of the river tonight as we land the plane. Because I, as I was praying about this, this, this chapter, this idea, this prophecy, there was something God started to challenge me with that I knew we were going to land the plane on because I now want to challenge you with what God challenged me with. So I'm just going to lay out before you what God gave me and you'll have to go take it and do whatever you're going to do with it. Back to discerning. So when you read that, that prophecy, the water trickles under the door and out and flows away from the temple, right? Flows away. We all got that part? 
Water is supposed to flow into the building. The vision is, vision is that it is flowing from the, the temple. Now, the, there's something really interesting about the presence of God flowing from and away from the temple. Now, over the church years and over the decades, you will find if you study churches that we tend to, the pendulum tends to swing in cycles. Like there'll be things that we might try as a staff. You're like, I, I think I remember that happening back in 82. Like I think we tried something similar. Like there's something cyclical about scripture. There's something cyclical about generations. There's something about us that we kind of go in circles and patterns. And so the church also done, does that. And over the last two cycles, what you've seen with the church is an overemphasis on the temple and then followed by an underemphasis on the temple. So when I was coming through Bible college in my high school years and into Bible college and into ministry, the idea then, the philosophy, the prevailing philosophy of all large churches was you ought to build and lead a seeker-sensitive church. That phrase may mean nothing to you. But what it meant in the late 90s and early 2000s is that if you went to church, you wouldn't find any churchy things. You wouldn't find a cross. You wouldn't find symbols. You wouldn't find a pastor uh, uh, preaching using big biblical words. This is the same season when suits started to go out from their pastors. I remember coming here on staff to this church and preaching and doing ministry on Sunday in a suit. You know, the good old days. Because some of you still say, oh, pastor, you'd look so good in a suit. And I said, I'm saving that suit for your funeral. <laughs> and I just don't want to dirty it between now and then. But if you wonder, if you're sitting here like, man, wasn't there a day when pastors used to look respectable? That's your thought, right? Like, wasn't there a day when I looked up to my pastor? Now it's just some bunch of snot-nosed kids wearing jeans and t-shirts to church. See, that shift happened because of the seeker-sensitive movement. You just didn't know it. Books and conferences and leading prevailing voices were saying, your suits and your big words of propitiation and sacrifice of atonement and saved by the blood of the Lamb is weirding people out. So don't do that stuff. Put on some jeans, and they'll think God is cool. Stop saying big theological words, and they might come back to church and Get a band and put an electric guitar up there and maybe people will think your music is cool. Get rid of the organ. You don't know why that happened maybe, but because leading voices said, do things with the seeker in mind. Get them in the building. Does that ring a bell at all? You're like, well, it does now. And then there was a pendulum swing away from that because church buildings were being huge and enormous facilities. The whole field of dreams model, if you build it, they will come. And then a whole bunch of new voices came out. They're like, nah, it's not about the gathering. It's about, it's about doing the work of God in the world. It's about redeeming the world and serving the poor. And it's about getting out there and being with the widows and the prisoners. And, and the social justice became a really big deal uh, as we moved into the mid-2000s and 2010s and beyond. And books were flying everywhere about, well, who cares if you gather? Go out and save the world. And it was a real, like, go do something with your faith, rally cry. And this was minimized. And, and what you find as you watch churches is there's often this pendulum swing is, are we supposed to be gathering or are we supposed to be scattering? And the New Testament says, yes. <laughs> we are meant to gather and scatter. 
The church is meant to be built on gathering and scattering back and forth. You come together to be filled up, to be sent out. You're sent out to, to share the good news, to share the gospel, to be light in the darkness, and then bring people back in to gather again. There's this ebb and flow like the tide with the church where we gather and scatter. And so the, the writers of the New Testament said this gathering idea and this scattering idea will be rallied around by pastors and elders and deacons. And there'd be people who'd be given the gift of apostleship and, and prophecy and evangelism and shepherding and teaching. And some of these people are going are to raise up the body of Christ when you gather. You're going to fill them up and then you're going to send them out into the world. And they're going to scatter across the nations. And then they're going to come back in. And as I process how this gathering and scatter, scattering is going to go, I really got thinking about our church. Because historically— this church was built on a gathering model. I mean, you heard John Simons in his video last week say, our philosophy was great preaching, great music, go get them on Tuesday and bring them back in. It was a gathering idea. Look at the building you are sitting in. It's a gathering building. And so I've been processing our church on what it looks like to be a flowing building. Yes, we'll gather, but how do we scatter? Now, the next part I want to tell you, I need a slight preface. Uh, about a year ago, I was talking to my cousin who pastors in the States. And we were talking about ministry and pastoring and how we kind of do this dance. And I was a typical Canadian being very modest in how we talked about our church and what we were up to and so on and so forth. And, and he said, you know, how many people like, would call your church home? I was like, I don't know, but a thousand people? Like, a thousand people? He said, everything you were saying does not match the language of somebody who has a thousand-person church. See, in, in the States, in, especially where college football ranks preeminent above all things, he said, our thing in the States is to project bigger than you actually are. Project strength. Project large, bigger than life. It's the American way. And I said, yeah, if I did that in Southwest Nova, there's some boys who would take me about four kilometers offshore and dump me overboard. <laughs> See, Canadians are more humble than Americans. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> if you're watching online, Alex Decker's right there. <laughs> Canadians have this humility, but our humility sometimes is our downfall. Our humility makes us weak. And our humility doesn't let us risk very often. So let me say this with love and grace. You are a part, if you attend this church, you are a part of one of the largest churches in Nova Scotia. I don't know if you know that. We never talk about it. I never make a big deal about it. But if you look at who calls YWC home and who calls Coastal home, our families, this is one of the largest churches in the province in little old Yarmouth. Now, like, who cares? It's not about the numbers. Oh, wait a second before you say that. Do you know what I see when I think of a thousand people? I see a mobile army. When I think of a thousand people who come on different weekends and travel different places and are always here the same day and are watching online, like, that is an army. When I think of the serving potential, when I think of the mobility potential, when I think of the giving potential— Think of the generosity and the horsepower that is just in our church family. 
And then you think of what all the church families could represent in the area. But this church family, when I think of the flow going out from the temple, and I think of the hundreds and probably more than a thousand people who say, yeah, that's my home church. When I, when I think what God could do with a mobilized people and an army like that and the generosity that we could in, in, just shove into our community, it, it starts to get a little twitchy. Because Jesus said, as you go, make disciples, teaching them everything I told you and baptizing them in my name. See, that phrase says, as you go. So my mind starts to think, as we go. What does it look like for a thousand people to go out into Yarmouth County and beyond? See, I've said to you before, one of my favorite things about pastoring here is everywhere I go, there you are. <laughs> like, you can't go anywhere in this town without bumping into people who call this church their home. They're everywhere. You, you, you get coffee, you bump into people who go to this church. You go to your doctor, you bump into people who go to this church. <laughs> I don't care what they're doing and how they're helping you. They probably go to this church. I thought that was going to be funny. I guess not. <laughs> None of you have had really awkward doctor's appointment with somebody you're going to have to worship with on Sunday? Is that just me? <laughs> you go to the bank, guess what? There we are. You go to the schools, there we are. You go to the wharfs, there we are. You go to Walmart, there we are. You go to Tim Horton's retirement coffee hour, there we are. <laughs> We're everywhere. The question is, as we go, are we making disciples and teaching them everything Jesus taught us and baptizing them? into his name. See, we're going, but are we going? Or maybe I should say it this way, we're going, but are we flowing? <laughs> You're just going to make me work for every inch of the sermon. See, there's this flowing out, but, but watch what happens when the flow is happening. I said to you two weeks ago, as it's flowing, the flow is getting mightier. It's rushing. It's getting wild. And it, and it goes from ankles to knees to waist to so deep you can't, cross a, can't go across it. And man, church, this one is the one that I just, I, I felt God stirring in this one. Like when you look at this passage and you see where, where he is moving, that river, as he walks out, that river is not to actually represent water. The river that flows from the temple is to represent the presence of God flowing from the temple out into the community. See, it's meant to be whatever happens in the temple flows out under the doors and out into the community, and it gets wilder the farther out it goes. It picks up momentum the farther it goes from the source. That's not how water works, right? The farther it goes from the source, it loses momentum. But, but, but the presence of God in this prophecy gains momentum as it goes out. But if, as I was reading it, as I was praying about this, I, I had this stirring. This might even be heretical. Is it possible that as it's flowing and gaining momentum, it's picking up people like Ezekiel who are stepping in the river as it's flowing out? Is it possible that we as a congregation, we as individuals, maybe we're not seeing the raging river that is called the presence of God because we're still in the shallow end. And if we won't go, we won't see. See, I think this is where we got to process for a second and discern, is this a word or not? What if all of the party last weekend, what if all of the excitement and all the resurrection songs and all the, the rattling and all the shares on Facebook, what if they don't matter one tiny bit if we won't go? 
See, I'm with you and you're with me. We want to see a mighty move of God in Southwest Nova. Will we be the mighty move of God in Southwest Nova? What if there is no mighty move of God in Southwest Nova unless there's a mighty move of the church in Southwest Nova? Well, the amens got real quiet on that one. I'll say it one more time. What if, what if, maybe I'm in heretical mode, what if there is no mighty move of God unless there's a mighty move of the church? Like, what if God's like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm doing my thing. I'm just looking for, for some Ezekiels. I'm looking for some people who are going to step in and step out. He's like, well, well, we're not seeing God move. No, no, moving is when you're seeing. See, remember, he said to him, are you seeing this? He's like, I'm seeing this. Well, let's go deeper. Are you seeing this still? I'm seeing it. Let's go deeper. What if we're staying in the shallow end, playing in the kitty end of the pool? I'm like, I want to see a resurrection. Will they move out to the Dead Sea? No. I want to see God redeem something. The move out into the redemption depths. No. This is comfortable. I can touch bottom still. And as I'm praying and reading, it's like, man, there is that risk where we want to see the resurrection stuff. We want to see the mighty move of God, but we want to do it in a safe, controlled manner. And the things I've been praying about lately, and the things I'm praying for our church, I'm going to share three of them with you, but you're not off the hook. So while I'm sharing, it's coming to you in a second. One of the deep end resurrection things that I'm praying for is a unity among the churches. Now, if you're not new here, you've heard me say that over and over and over again, right? Here's where I want to go deeper. We have seen a cooperation of the churches. We have not seen a unity of the churches. This might come as a shock to you, but this is one of the most church-volatile areas I've ever been. If you're watching online, yep, I'm talking to you too. Our churches cooperate. I'm praying for unity. Now, if you're like, so you want to just have all the churches be Wesleyan? No. <laughs> Do you want to just have them all full and they all come under one building? Heavens no. We need more gospel outposts, not less. What we need to see are the churches actually loving each other. Now, if any pastors are watching online, which I know you aren't, <laughs> it starts with us. Until the pastors of the different denominations start to love one another, there's no need to ask the churches to love one another. And so churches, I am praying not for church cooperation, I'm praying for church unity where the backbiting stops and the gossiping and the tearing down and the taking shots at each other actually goes away. And we don't just pretend cooperate. We have unity among the churches where we don't say they're winning and we're losing. It's just we're winning. There's only kingdom talk. The idea that someone would say, hey, evangel baptized 10 people, that I would say we baptized 10 people because they're on our team and we're on their team. There should not be this idea of they did this, so that means we haven't. They're growing, so we're not. No, no. We, the kingdom, will advance when we, the kingdom, move together. The, one of the other things I'm praying for lately is that we actually see cultural reformation because of the church. I think historically what the church has done well is doing things in the church. 
I think the next season of leadership, the next season of where the church goes in Southwest Nova is to see a church so potent, capital C church, not a small C church, the church so potent in Southwest Nova that it has a redemptive effect on the community. See, when people in the New Testament got saved, it transformed their business. It transformed their community. It transformed how people did business in the community. It wasn't contained in. It poured and just flooded out. People who are making money on, on things that were against God were not able to make money anymore. Sinful businesses or unrighteous businesses just dried up. People are like, we're not going to endorse this anymore. Imagine if the church in Southwest Nova was so powerful that the community of Southwest Nova was transformed. Like there are things in our community, things that we need to pray into and lead into and be leaders in the community where we start to see these things eradicated. Or the church just starts taking a bigger risk playing a part in it, which attaches to the third prayer I'm praying. I would love to see the the strongest, most anointed leaders in the community be grown in the church. Now, that seems nuanced to you. I would love to see the sharpest leaders in the community be raised up and become that way because of the experience they got in their local church. See, for a long time, churches were built on the back of sharp community leaders. You, you led a good business in the community? Well, then you should be on our board and help us to lead a good church. You do money in the community? Well, then you should help us do money in the, in the church. Imagine a day when the church was raising up leaders and sending them out, and the sharpest leaders in the community were the ones that were raised up in the church. It's a whole flipping of the narrative where we move from being reactive to proactive. Where when we move out into the community, you have people who say, I don't get the Westlands. I don't get the Baptists. I don't get the Pentecostals. I don't get them. I don't believe what they believe, but my goodness, I'd have more of them on my team. I don't know where they come from. I don't know how it's happening, but I want more of them at tables in our community where decisions are made. Imagine a time when a decision would have to be made in our community, and they have to pause and think, I wonder what some of the churches think about this. See, I don't think our community is against the church here in Southwest Nova. I think the community thinks the church is irrelevant in Southwest Nova. Imagine if that wasn't the case. Imagine if we lived and led in a way that they couldn't imagine living and leading without us at the table. I'm praying into these things. Now my question to you is what are you praying into? What what are the things that you are circling and saying, God, you need to move. And here's here's where I said I wanted to lean into you a little bit. One of the, the fourth thing I'm kind of praying into for our church is that we become a less pastor-centric church. Now, I don't mean like singular pastor, like me in front of you. Historically, a lot of churches are passive until the, the pastor, whoever that is, says we should do something. And if that pastor leaves, the next pastor comes in, grabs the wheel and yanks it 90 degrees, goes down a different direction. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a church that is built on the back of leaders who are saying, I'm not sure, pastor, what God is telling you, but here's what God is telling me. It's been a while, church. It's been a while since I've had someone call me, email me, text me, send a pigeon with a letter in the leg. It's been a while. 
Since someone said, Pastor, I got a word. I need, I need to run it by you. I need to bounce it off you. Pastor, I've got these tingles going on. Like, I think God's calling me into something. Do I have your support? Can I have a piece of the budget? Can I, have, like, I, I, got, I got this discernment. I got to move. I got to do something. Most churches are built on the back of, Pastor, whatever you want to do, we'll support you. And I'm saying, I think a gospel-driven church is a church built on God speaking to the church. Not, Pastor, well, what do you think we should do? Great question. What do you think we should do? What is God saying to you? And here's how I'll frame it for Ezekiel 47. Where is the river flowing in your family that you are circling and praying into? See, there's no point rallying last weekend and talking about new life and resurrection for the community and the church if we're not praying for it for our families. What is the dead spot in your family? What is the dry, dusty spot in your family where you're like, God, I am going to be the persistent widow. And if you don't show up, I'm going to drive you crazy. You either answer this prayer or you'll be seeing me here every single day. Do you know who I visited this week? Jane Grant. I texted Jane Grant and said, Hi, after right her surgery, Jane had, her, Jane had her skull cracked open and worked on her brain. That's the medical way I say it. She said, I'm doing great. She said, what I think happened was uh, there were so many people pestering God, he dared not, not answer it. I thought, that's a prayer I want to rally around. Imagine us circling things in our family, in our own life. For God, if you don't move, I'm going to drive you crazy. You'll be seeing me every day at 6 a.m. You either do it, or I'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m., and I'll see you the next day at 6 a.m. That honors the heart of God because we are often so flighty in our prayers. I don't know about you, but I've got the prayer attention span of a six-year-old little boy. I know that because I have one. Man, I come to God passionately on Tuesday and I've forgotten about it by Thursday. God says, okay, if you're on to something else, let's go on to something else. And I want to get persistent and passionate to say, God, not what are the things I want you to do. God, where are the places where your river is already flowing that I should align with? Where are you moving in my family that I need to wake up to, pray into, and move into? What I like about Ezekiel's vision is he did not ask God to take the vision to the Dead Sea. It was already going there. He just joined it. And there are so many times we're like, God, you've got to move over here. And God's like, well, no, I'm doing something right there in your family. No, 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 no. This side. God's like, no, this side. God is not here to bend his will to our flighty prayers. God is moving and he's inviting us into his current. See, God knows what your family needs. God knows what you need. He is asking you to step into what he is already up to. He is not asking to piggyback your ideas. He's asking you to join his kingdom movement. Because what, what Jesus inaugurated at the cross, when the kingdom was brought into play, it will be brought to fulfillment one day, and in the middle, we get to participate in it. The question is, will we? As so a church, the prayer for you is this is simple. I want you to process this as we worship. They're going to lead us for a few minutes. God is on the move. God is doing stuff. Some of you need to step in ankle deep and start participating. 
You need to do something. We don't need some people doing more. We need more people doing something. Step in a little bit. Move. For some of you as you're discerning, it's like, yeah, I've done a lot of kiddie pool stuff. Start leading something. Some of you are leaders and you're hiding. Some of you know you're anointed and you're gifted and you could make stuff happen in the kingdom and you just sit back and watching other people make stuff happen. The third group, there's only a few of you in this one, but you might be here, but there's only a few of you. A few of you are waist-deep kind of people. God has called you to birth things into existence. Not everybody can do that. Some of you will be called and anointed and you are gifted that you can turn a kingdom presence out of nothing. You are entrepreneur. You are apostolic. You just have this ability to see what nobody else can see and get done what nobody else can get done. You've done it in your business. You've done it other places. And God is calling you to do that in his kingdom. There are cultural gaps and cultural things that are wounded in our community that some of you are uniquely gifted to do something about. And I'm guessing if I'm trusting the Lord tonight, some of you ever have dreams in your heart to do things in this community you are too afraid to actually pull the trigger on. And so you're still in the kiddie pool like, well, that's really risky. I told you that week one. That we're going to pray things. We're going to believe things. We're going to risk for things that if God doesn't show up, you will drown. Absolutely no doubt about it. So church, as we sing, as we worship, where are you on this risk with God? We cannot and we will not declare resurrection unless we're pushing out into the deep end and risking for God testing his faithfulness, testing his goodness, saying, God, you better show up. Last thing I'll say, because I got to stop preaching. I told you week two that my daughter moved out in the pool, right? Remember I took her in the pool? Maybe you weren't listening on that week. I took her to her very first pool, went from shallow to deep. She got to the deep end and started to drown. She's going under. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. I don't, know if you, I don't know if some of you have kids that have been in this pool moment. I'm on the edge of the pool, and she's gone right in the deep end. I said to her, be careful. She's eight years old. She's not a great swimmer. I said, be careful. I'm at this party. There's a whole bunch of people around. I'm fully dressed, and she's going under. I don't know if you've ever seen your kids panic on their face when they know they're about to drown. I flew in that pool fully dressed. And guess who followed me? Blair McDonald. <laughs> See, there's something about her risk that kind of warms my heart. I'm, I know I'm that, that one. But that kid, I warned her, if you go deeper, you're in the deep end. It's in over your head. Now, I, I'm going to presuppose because it makes for good preaching. I don't know her heart. Could have been foolishness. It could have been, I'm going to risk my dad's here. I don't know. But there are some of us that need to start to risk knowing your dad is here. And you need to risk going out and you might go under and it might be terrifying. God's got you. Put the onus on him.